Welcome to Gateway's podcast. We hope God speaks to you through this message from Pastor Don Brock. For more information about Gateway, please visit www.gatewaybc.com. As we will build up into this service towards having a very sacred moment together when we share communion together. And it is a very sacred moment because of what it stands for, what it means, what it implies. And it was instituted by our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm um, qualified to stand here for one reason, because of the blood of Jesus Christ. You're qualified to take communion for one reason, because of the blood of Jesus Christ. We are qualified to worship his name and to declare his glory because of Jesus Christ. And it's nothing that we can earn, it's nothing that you and I deserve, for there is only one thing you and I have definitely earned, and that is the judgment of God. We did that without anybody's help. We can't even blame that on the devil. <laughs> we, we did a good job of that completely on our own. But because of Jesus, we are forgiven. Because of Jesus, we have been declared righteous. Because of Jesus, you and I have been declared holy. And because of Jesus, we can share this very sacred moment together. In Luke chapter 22, it's one of the versions given, one of the uh, <clears throat> stories that are told about what happened on that Thursday evening. As it begins, it tells us that uh, it is now the festival of unleavened bread had arrived when the Passover lamb is sacrificed. Now the festival of unleavened bread, it's the first day of the feast, of the Passover feast season. And the people of Galilee would celebrate the Passover on a Thursday evening, so the lambs were prepared uh, during that afternoon. And the disciples and Jesus ate the Passover meal together that evening after sundown when the Passover officially began. In verse 8, it says, Jesus sent Peter and John ahead and said, go and prepare the Passover meal so we can eat it together. Now, that was no small task. Uh, they had to take a lamb. They had to uh, have it sacrificed. They, they had to make preparations for a meal for 13 people. And, uh, but the preliminary arrangements they discovered for the meal had already been personally arranged by Jesus himself and with the owner of an upper room that was going to take care of most of the details for them. Verse 9, where do you want us to prepare it, they asked him. And he replied, as soon as you enter Jerusalem, a man carrying a pitcher of water will meet you. Follow him. At the house he enters, say to the owner, a different person, the teacher or the master asks, where is the guest room where I can eat the Passover meal with my disciples? He will take you upstairs to a large room that is already set up. And that is where you should prepare our meal. 
Now, there seems to be something very mysterious and secretive uh, about this section of the narrative. Why did Jesus send Peter and John on such a strange mission with strange instructions about finding the place to celebrate the meal? And, uh, and I, I think as we look into it, we can begin to put the pieces together. You see, Jesus had made no secret about the fact that they were going to go to Jerusalem and he was coming to Jerusalem to do one thing and that was to die. He was to be, he was to be the sacrificial lamb. And he also predicted that he was going to be betrayed. So at the feast itself on the eve of the Passover, Jesus declared that one, the one he would eat with was indeed going to prepare, uh, betray him. And so because Jesus was very keenly aware of what Judas was going to do, I believe that's the simple reason why things were so clandestine, so secretive, because it would have been the perfect place and time to bring the spring to trap, so to speak, by Judas to have Jesus arrested in that upper room. You see, the streets would have been cleared. Everybody would have been in their homes participating in the Passover meal. And so there would have been no disturbance, no crowd around. There would be no place to escape. Everybody would be in that one room. And so it would be easy. It would be well lit. It would be easy to discover Jesus and to point him out. And so that would have been the opportune time to have had Jesus secured by the soldiers. So I believe personally, that's why Jesus did things the way he did it, because he was on a different timetable. Judas had his timetable, but Jesus had his. Isn't that kind of the way it is for your life sometimes? You, you got your timetable, you've got when you want things to happen and you pray for something and you tell Jesus when you would like to have it delivered. And Jesus usually laughs at our plans and says, oh, if you only understood the plans that I have for you. And, and so Judas had his plan, but Jesus had a bigger plan. So I personally believe that that's why he did such a secretive thing. And that's why that uh, Judas, he kind of kept... Jesus kind of kept him close to him so that he could kind of keep an eye on him. And uh, Peter and John, they would go and they would look and you would think, isn't that strange? Try to find a guy carrying a pitcher of water. Not really, because the custom of that day is that the women, only women carried pitchers of water. When men carried water, it was in a pouch. Uh, like a camel sack thing. And uh, you would not see a man carrying a pitcher of water, but that was the signal that Jesus had set up. And so when they walked into through the gate, they immediately saw the guy. And obviously when they went to the home of the guy who was going to allow the meal to take place at their home, that person had to be a follower of Jesus because they used the phrase, the master, the teacher. In fact, tradition tells us that this was actually the home of Mark, the one who would write the book of Mark. We don't know that for sure, but it kind of makes sense to me. 
And so, just as Jesus said, they found the guy, and uh, they went about their way. And so, in verse 13, it says, they went off to the city and found everything just as Jesus had said. Now, when are, when are you and I going to start having that kind of faith in Jesus? That Jesus... The Bible, when it tells us that this is the way things are going to be, this is the way things are, that is true. And we just need to celebrate that and, 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 and put our confidence in that. So they went off to the city and found everything just as Jesus has said, and they prepared the Passover meal there. So in obedience to the directive of Jesus, they found it all just like Jesus said. You see, Jesus in John chapter 10, he says, no one takes my life from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. Judas was not in charge of the timetable. Jesus was in charge of the timetable. Verse 14, when the time came, Jesus and the apostles sat down together at the table. So Jesus knew exactly where the place was, and the disciples didn't know until they arrived there with Jesus, the other ten disciples. Sundown came, marking the official beginning of the Passover. And in verse 15, Jesus said, I have been very eager to eat this Passover meal with you, before my suffering begins. Now that word eager, um, it comes from two old world uh, words that mean sharp, keen. Uh, he, he was so keen, expectant. His mind was crystal sharp, focused on this event. That this was going to be one of the last teaching moments before he would go to the cross. And, and that this was where he was going to teach them something so important that they wouldn't probably understand it at the time, but later they would. Plus, he was going to be instituting something that even today you and I still celebrate. That's how important this thing was. And the most important aspect about what was about to happen was the fact that Jesus was going to start a new covenant. He was going to add a dimension to the Passover meal because he was going to declare himself that I'm the sacrificial lamb. Verse 16. For I tell you now, I won't eat this meal again until its meaning is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Now here's what that means. I, I believe, in fact, in the Greek... It's a double negative, a strong double negative. And it's referring to the Passover meal. And it seems to reference to the messianic banquet that's going to happen in God's kingdom. So Jesus is saying to these disciples, this is my last Passover meal, which he had been celebrating every year since he was a young child. He has personally celebrated the Passover meal every year of his life up until now. And he's saying, this is the last time I'm going to do it until the kingdom of God is fulfilled. And there in my kingdom, 
There's going to be a messianic. There's going to be a banquet. There's going to be the marriage supper of the lamb. There's going to be a total fulfillment about what I'm telling you today. And that is when I will share in this meal again. And so even to this day, Jesus has yet to share in that meal. Now, you and I were not there when this first meal happened, but you and I will be there when that next meal happens. Isn't that exciting? That you and I, even though we weren't there 2,000 years ago when he shared in his last Passover meal, that you and I are going to be there when he has his happy meal. (laughs) You and I are going to celebrate that meal with him. You and I are, and he's, and that feast is being prepared for us even now. And we won't have to have a secret password to get in. We will be ushered into this banquet hall that the angels have prepared. And there with Jesus, we will be with him when he shares with us the first time he's had the Passover meal in his resurrected body. You and I will be a part of that. Wow, how cool is that? You know, I think often about some of the things and places I would have loved to have been with Jesus. And this would have been one of those places I would have loved to have been at that Passover meal and to hear his words. But instead of focusing on what cannot happen, I'm focusing on what will happen and I will get to be with him when he has that great marriage supper of the lamb and I won't be standing off in the corner watching but you and I will have a seat of honor at the banquet table and you may be asking how is that going to be possible with all the millions of people that will be in heaven I don't care I just like the idea and the truth and the fact that I'm going to be there. I don't care how he does it. I'm just glad I'm going to be there and watch him when he does it. For you see, in less than 16 hours, Jesus' death on that following day was going to symbolize fulfill the symbolism of the Passover meal. Where they would have a sacrificial lamb, Jesus became that sacrificial lamb. Verse 17, then he took a cup of wine and he gave thanks to God for it. He said, take this and share it among yourselves. Now, this is not the, the, the first cup. This, this is, that cup's going to come later. Uh, in the Passover meal, they would share four cups of wine together. And, and the four cups were uh, integral in the part of the Passover celebration. They each stood for uh, the four promises the Lord made to his people in the Exodus chapter 6. Let me read those two verses for you. Therefore, say to Uh, the people of Israel, I am the Lord your God. I will free you 
from your oppression. That's the first cup, the cup of sanctification. I will bring you out from under your burdens of the Egyptians. And for you and I, that means that Jesus will set us free from the oppression uh, of Satan and the, uh, the oppression of this life that we have, that we live apart from him. And then secondly, he says, and, you, and I will rescue you from the slavery in Egypt. So there's a cup of deliverance that uh, he would rescue. He did rescue them out of Egypt from their slavery. And Jesus is going to rescue you and me and already has from the slavery we have to sin, that we will no longer be a slave to sin. That's the second cup. And then he says, I will redeem you with a powerful arm and great acts of judgment. So there's the cup of redemption. And I will redeem you with outstretched arms that Jesus is going to stretch his arms out that next after uh, that next morning and and he is going to become the sacrificial lamb that they have been celebrating now all these years <clears throat> that he is going to become that lamb and he is going to redeem us and he has redeemed us with his blood and then he says I will claim you as my own people and I will be your God. So there's the fourth cup, which is the cup of praise. And that is a cup that you and I have yet to drink from, but you and I will drink from that cup in heaven when we are officially made. It is, uh, well, it's already happened, but it's not, it has officially been put in place but it will be seen and observed and uh, acted upon when you and I go to heaven that you and I will be adopted into his family. You and I will be adopted as co-heirs with Christ. So that is a cup that's yet to happen, the cup of praise, but we can still celebrate it. I've got two friends uh, down in Charlotte, Corey Singleton, who used to uh, help lead our worship here at Gateway, and he was a worship pastor in Charleston. And he and his wife are in the process of adopting a little girl from China. And the other day that they were actually able to Skype with her and see her and talk to her in real time. And uh, they, they uh, were asking her, because they're going to go and get her and have her home by Christmas. And the whole family is going to make the journey to bring her home. And, and so she, they were asking her, what would she, what would she like to have for Christmas or what would she like to have for her room? And her response was, I just want you. I just want you. So you see, she's already adopted, but it will be fulfilled when they go and get her and bring her and show her her new home and she will be one of them as if she had been physically born into that family. She will not be a stepchild. She will be their child. And so God has already adopted you, but he's not brought you home yet. But you're, you're able to talk to him and fellowship with him and experience the privilege of that. But the day's coming where it's going to come to fruition and he's going to bring you into his kingdom and you will be at home. You and I aren't home yet, but we're still adopted. We're still his children. So the day's coming when he will take us as his own people.
Jesus declares a new covenant with his people. Verse 18 of John chapter, uh, Luke chapter 22. For I will not drink wine again until the kingdom of God has come. And you and I will be there for that moment. Now he moves into the heart of the teaching moment. He took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Now, this is no Eucharist miracle of transubstantiation. <laughs> this was symbolic. And his disciples would not miss the intent of this statement. For you see, his body had not actually been broken yet. He was still there with them. So he was saying to them, this is my a representation of my body and what's going to happen. And so when you and I take the Lord's Supper today and we take and we break that bread, it's a representation of what he did do 2,000 years ago, that he allowed his body to be broken for us. Verse 20, after supper, he took another cup of wine and said, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people. Oh, he's adding something now that is totally different. It radically changes everything. He says, this is an agreement confirmed by my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. He says that in the past tense that it was poured out, even though it hadn't been yet been poured out. But as far as heaven was concerned, it already had been poured out. But when Jesus came to on this earth, he had already poured out his blood because God gave his son for us. But now that next day, it's physically going to happen. And that now we're living in the, in the future tense of this. We have, this is all behind us. This has already happened. We celebrate it that Jesus sacrifice, poured out his blood for us. And this does a brand new thing, a new covenant, something that they had never known before. So for us today, as we celebrate this sacred moment, this Lord's Supper, it looks at the things that God has done and is doing and will do. It reminds us of what Jesus did for us. It reminds us of what he is doing for us. And it reminds us of what he's going to do for us in the future. He has saved us. He is saving us. And he's going to save us. He has saved you from your sins. He is saving you from the things of this world. And he's going to save you and bring you into his kingdom for all eternity. So when you and I take of the Lord's Supper, it's a reminder of how precious the gift was. 
that he gave his life, his body, his blood for you and me. Not because we deserve it, because we do not. Not because we've earned it, because we have not. But because he chose to love us first. Praise God for what he's done for us. Now, I would ask that you begin to prepare your hearts. I would ask that you, I mean, if you could only take communion if you were absolutely sinless, you would never, ever take it. So you come and you say, Jesus, because of what you've done for me, I've been made whole. Because of your blood, I have been made right with your Father. Because of your sacrifice, I have been declared holy because you are holy. Nothing that I've done, nothing that I can do, nothing that can possibly ever happen on my account other than I simply accept it.